Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 271. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Hope all of you are doing well. COVID aside, I hope none of you are suffering seasonal allergies, being springtime and all. Sure, it's great to you know do those COVID-friendly activities like hiking and working out in the yard and all sorts of stuff like that, but you still have to deal with stuffy nose and itchy eyes and all that great stuff that I'm dealing with right now, you know, even being COVID-free. So uh, you can't win for losing, I guess, or something. I don't know. My head's a little cloudy right now, uh, what, what with all that uh, snot filling it. So there's an image for you. All right. Oh, we've gotten a little bit of feedback this week. I like feedback. So let's look at some of it. Got a tweet from at Paula Triads. I believe is how we pronounce that. P-A-U-L-A-T-R number three, I-D-E-S. Vienna L. Epagon. I apologize. I probably butchered that completely. I believe in reference to last week's episode, Quad Run. He wrote, going to listen to this later. Thanks for covering this game. I hope... I had it and loved it. Hope you talked about the contest in the game, the prize for completing the mazes, and getting the secret word. In my extremely half-assed research, just before hitting record today, I did find on Atari Compendium a reference to a contest in the fall of 83, Atari via the Atari Club magazine, Atari Age, created a contest to determine who was the ultimate video game master. It involved three games, Gravatar, Quad Run, and Battle Zone, with the top two scores from each game to meet at a playoff at the 1984 Summer Olympics in L.A. And then there's an interview with Mike Sutherland, who was one of the six finalists. They talked to him a little bit. Evidently, he was a quad run and gravitar finalist. Just kind of reading quickly through the interview here. He won first place in the quad run competition. He got a patch, of course. I didn't try to max out quad run after winning the contest because I didn't enjoy playing it all that much. I think I got burned out on it uh, playing so much in the practice for the contest. The main thing that makes it hard is not being able to earn additional balls, so once you've messed up three times, you're out with no grace. It also takes way too long to get to the highest possible score with an extremely high f- frustration level if you spent two or three hours and you happen to lose all your balls. Hold on, I just realized I'm looking at dates here and realizing I didn't have enough coffee this morning. I think the episode he's referring to is not the Quadrant episode, but the Solar Fox episode, so my apologies. All the stuff I just said about Quadrant, that is correct. However, the secret word contest that he's referring to, I think, was a Solar Fox thing. The Atari Protos article about Solar Fox has this to say. Every five racks, you'll be presented with a challenge rack. The challenge rack is similar to a regular level, except there are no sentinels shooting at you, and the skipper rack timer is replaced by a challenge timer. If you finish the level before the timer counts down, you will be presented with a letter. If you are good enough to beat all six challenge racks, you can spell out the secret word Helios, H-E-L-I-O-S, who is the Greek god of the sun. This was part of a special contest that CBS was running, but as CBS is long gone, These letters are no more than mere curiosities these days. 
There was a thread on Atari Age about this as well. Someone posed the question, you know, basically asking if anyone knew more about the contest. Someone responded, this was 10, 11 years ago, that uh, there was also a hidden word contest in Blueprint. And then goes on to say, they were supposed to be clues to a contest surprise that CBS was planning. No one knows what happened with the contest or what the surprise was. Someone else thought that maybe kind of like Activision patches, they were offering giveaway stickers or something. Probably a me too kind of thing since iMagic I or eMagic, this is the portion of the show where I mispronounce iMagic or eMagic, had the numb thumb club. Activision offered patches and Atari had the sword quest thing going on. Someone else says, no, CBS offered pins for Gorf and Wizard of War, but they were unrelated to the hidden words, which, also, which only appeared in Blueprint and Solar Fox. And then it goes on from there, more people speculating about what this was. So to answer your question, uh, I don't know anything about this contest other than what I just read to you. If anyone else knows about this contest, if anyone else participated in the contest and got anything for it, let us know. We also heard from the New Zealand Bureau of Atari Bytes listeners, Carl Mead, who wrote, thanks for the shout out. Uh, in an earlier episode, I mentioned him and his comments. Really loved the show. New Zealand's first in the world to see the new day, so I watch your show Sunday evening after it's released. Thanks, Carl. It makes me so happy to know, to hear from people far away from where I am uh, listening to the dopey things that I do. So I appreciate that. Make sure to tell all your friends to do the same. It sounds like a, a lovely way to enjoy the podcast first before anyone else, so to speak. So thanks for that. And finally, in feedback, we heard from listener uh, and new Patreon supporter, Jason Schiffman. You may remember last week I mentioned Jason, first of all, as being a new Patreon supporter, which we're very grateful for. But he also had some concerns about Trump comments, comments about Trump that I had made in the past and so forth. And, And I heard from him again, so I thought I'd share with you what he said. First, thanks for reading my message and your reply to the Atari Bytes audience, which I believe extends to even New Zealand. It does, as a matter of fact. Carl Mead is our New Zealander listening to the show. Jason continues, I felt a warm glow as I became part of the majesty of Atari Bytes. Uh, let's not overstate things too much, Jason. However, mentions of my minor typo were not really the coolest thing you could do to a member of your audience, but you are obviously free to read my messages verbatim. I'm not sure specifically what you mean. It may be that Trump bashing was capitalized, which I took to mean as suggesting it was a thing unto itself. It may have just been a typo, so... Apologies for that. Second, you questioned what I meant by strangely silent. Jason had made a comment to the effect that I was making comments about Trump, but uh, in, in his view there are other things going on right now that I was evidently being strangely silent about. Um, so he's explaining it here. He says, I was simply pointing out that there is a whole new collection of disasters occurring and you are not uttering a peep, hence strangely silent. I guess my only thought there is that, uh, as you have pointed out, uh, yourself, this isn't a politics podcast. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time. I don't intend to spend a lot of time uh, analyzing it, any president or or any particular news story. I just mention things as they come to mind and are are weighing on my mind at you know the moment I hit record on the podcast. Jason goes on. Third, I believe your story, Cage Free, which was the uh, story in the last episode which broke tradition in the sense that it wasn't tied to the video game topic, was designed to be some sort of deeper retort to my beliefs. Little mentions of right shoe. I think that might be a typo. I guess I'm not sure what that's supposed to say. An inability to adjust to some sort of new age. I loved it, beautifully written, and was incredibly clever, so I was touched that episode 270 was all about me. (laughs) 
and an Atari game. I finally won my effort at Immortality. And finally, Hyper 1077 is an amazing... Uh, hold on, before I get to that. Cage Free was written before, uh, honestly, I ever heard from you, Jason. So it was not a response to anything that you said. It was just a story that came out of my own head and my own thoughts. A Cage Free, not to get too preoccupied here, is really more a story about... Well, it's kind of a story about COVID, actually. The guy in the story, you know, he's a longtime prisoner, locked up in this cage over the last year. It's also, you could also look to it as a story about longtime prison inmates and how, you know, they adjust to being free. There's different ways to look at it. Uh, Again, nothing to do with uh, uh, being a retort to political beliefs or anything. Nothing like that. But I do encourage people to take what they want from any story that I write. Because that's really the the intent of being a writer is to put something out there and let people uh, experience get their own experience from it. Uh, because sometimes that points things out to the writer that they didn't even intend to do. That comes from the response that you're not able to see as the writer. The reader takes a different experience. Okay, that's enough for uh, writer's corner. Jason goes on to say Hyperion seventy seven. This was a reference he made last week on the show that I didn't know what he was talking about, so he explains it here. Uh, it's an amazing product that can be purchased worldwide. It's basically a console version clone of the classic Atari 2600. It even has its joystick faithfully copied and accepts old-school cartridges. Better yet, you can upgrade its emulator, and with an SD card, you can basically have the entire Atari library, including the super Supercharger titles, at your fingertips. This beats an emulator in the sense that it provides a console experience, it connects to modern TVs via HDMI. That sounds very cool. I like the hardware. I've mentioned on the show before, I am much happier playing with the uh, the old console I had as a kid and actual physical cartridges than I am, although I've done it, and will continue to do so with emulators and, and so forth. Uh, it's just, the games are the same, but the experience isn't the same, you know. So I am intrigued, I guess, by the Hyperion, or Hyper, what is it? I've forgotten already. Hyper 1077. Maybe I'll look into it. But Jason goes on. I hope Henry's back in the next episode to keep you in line. Well, as you can tell already, Henry's not on the episode today. I think you hear his voice briefly on the field report. He is pretty consistently my cameraman, but he's not, uh, you know, he's 11. So whether or not he's on the show just kind of depends on what his, uh, where his brain is at that day. So who knows? Maybe he'll be back next week. Uh, so he is not here to uh, keep me in line, as Jason was hoping. Uh, I, I really do need to be monitored, but I'm on my own. Well, the dog is here, I guess. Hi, bud. But she mostly just does whatever I want, so that's not much in the way of monitoring. Jason concludes, you're a very talented guy. Or, Thanks for another great episode. You're a very talented guy. Ah, and a good family man. I will be patiently waiting for each amazing journey into the golden age of Atari. I think even Donald Trump would enjoy your entertaining show, although he would likely say ColecoVision was better. Fake news. And then unsubscribe. <laughs> Jason, I appreciate that even though there is a, a vast gulf, it sounds like, politically between us, uh, we both enjoy a good joke. So I would appreciate your comments. But hey, he wasn't done, by the way, because uh, I responded to him, uh, basically a shorter version of what I just said. And then he went on to uh, comment, I'm not obsessed with politics, so please don't think it's Trump loving Jason or whatever. I think you should look into Hyperion 77. As a matter of fact, the current owners of Atari actually or actually suing them over the clone console and joystick and patent court. Uh, I didn't look at any of this. So I don't have any de- details about it. I'm just going by what Jason's telling me here. So you won't find too much Atari news in 2021, but that's pretty interesting. 
Further, Atari has a new coin op of Pong with literal physical paddles and ball, which is like 3D in the sense of being literally 3D. Um, that sounds kind of cool. That'd be fun. Once in a while, back when people were out in the world, you know, I would be at cons of one kind or another. Once in a while, I would see, you know, for sale a, a big Pong machine. I would think if I had a ton of money to, th- you know, throw away and space to put a Pong table in, it would be fun to have. I do kind of hope one day to have an upright Atari uh, arcade cabinet, or even a cocktail cabinet. Sometimes they're kind of good looking too. I don't know what it would be. Probably one of the classics that you always hear about. Pac-Man or Donkey Kong or Frogger or something. But who knows? Maybe someday. All right. So that's uh, This Week in Jason. Jason, I'm glad that you're sticking with it. Uh, as I said, we clearly don't agree on much, probably, politically. Knowing that uh, even if there's not a lot we agree on, other than uh, if there's not a lot we agree on, uh, we do at least agree that Atari is cool, and I guess that I'm a good writer? Uh, I don't know. I may be uh, reading between the lines. So thanks for that. All right, we've screwed around enough. Let's get on to the series meat of this episode. This week's game is Cubert's Cubes from Milestar Electronics, 1983, or maybe 1984? Seems like I saw both dates. This game is available for Atari 2600 and compatible systems. Take several rows of suspended three-dimensional, in quotes, cubes, with a Q, drop onto them some very weird creatures in pursuit of a guy who loves to hop, and what have you got? One of the wackiest games you may ever play, and a most challenging one. You may need to match two or even three rows of cubes in one round, and then there's always someone, or something, trying to stop you, not to mention undo what you've already done. It's great fun, too. When was the last time you met a Meltnik or a Shubop? I think that's kind of personal, their milestar. Cubert's Cubes, it's a video game of another dimension. The object of the game is to color match cubes in a row or rows of four. Do so in order to move to the next round. There are four rounds per level, ten levels in all. We're using the cartridge, or excuse me, we're using the uh, joystick for this one. If you wish to freeze the action, you can set the TV type switch to black and white. They're screwing with my head because, as you know, longtime listeners, my favorite instruction of all time is to hold the joystick with the red button in the upper left-hand corner. But no, no, not Cubert's Cubes. They want you to hold the joystick controller so that the four corners form a diamond with the fire button at the top. Move the joystick in the direction of the arrows. It's on this diagram here. Can you see in the back? Hey, 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 put down that Trump article. Sorry, Jason, I had to do it. Move the joystick in the direction of the arrows and only in those directions in order to make Cubert hop diagonally up and down the rows of cubes. I gotta admit, I thought this was kind of silly, but then I actually tried it, and it does actually kind of help you not make Cubert fly off the little pyramid grid thing. It's not really a pyramid. That's original Cubert, but this little um, this little layout that you've got going with the cubes. In the game, Cubert has six lives. Remaining Cuberts are shown at the top of the screen. Look at the cube in the upper left portion of the screen. This is the Target Cube, not the Target Dog from Fingers Crossed, new sponsor Target, the Target Cube. The object is to color match a row or rows of four cubes to this Target Cube. To make a match, Cubert must jump off the cube in the appropriate direction as if he were tumbling that cube. This may have to be done several times. Once the cube matches the Target Cube, it becomes one color in lower levels a matched cube is locked in place. As you'll see in higher levels, matched cubes can be unmatched by Shubops, or by Cubert himself. Once Cubert matches the required number of rows... Hold on. I feel like 
even in earlier levels, Kubert can match and unmatch the colors. So I don't totally get that, I guess. Once Kubert matches the required number of rows to win the round, he is rewarded with a fanfare of lights and sounds and proceeds to the next round with his remaining lives. Then we meet the cast of Weird Little Creatures. Meltnecks derive their name from an uncanny ability to sink and disappear into cubes that match the color of their complexions. Although a Meltnick may look harmless, he or she can put an end to Kubert if he runs into one. Warning. Although Kubert can stop other green characters, he can't stop a green Meltnick. Kubert mustn't ever play catch with Purple Ball because Purple Ball will squash him on contact. Also be warned that when Purple Ball reaches the bottom cubes, it hatches. Rat-a-tat-tat. Alright. Then we get Rat-a-tat-tat. A dirty rat, if ever there was one. This rat follows Cubert like Monday follows Sunday. That's hilarious, isn't it? And we'll finish Cubert off if Cubert's not quick. There is, however, a trick to getting rid of that rodent. You see, Rat-a-tat-tat has a terrible sense of balance. When he jumps and a cube that's changing colors, when he jumps onto a cube that's changing colors, he loses his balance and falls. Change the colors at just the right moment, and Rat-a-tat-tat is off Cubert's trail. Sheldon is an influential turtle. When Sheldon and Cubert collide, everyone except Cubert slows down a bit, and the new characters, and new characters are introduced at a slower rate. Green Ball poses no danger for Cubert when the two collide. In fact, there's a good reason for doing so. When Cubert and Green Ball collide, all characters except Cubert freeze for a moment. During this time, Cubert may hop about freely until the action resumes. Some shuboops, shuboops, shubops, some shubops wear shades while others do not. In the long run, they're all the same. They're green and they're mean. Green because Cubert can make them disappear in contact, and mean because they can change the colors of the cubes, even ones that have already matched the target. So, see you, boop, shoo it away. I gotta be honest, in the actual game, I forgot all about what the difference between the different characters were, and just sort of tried to avoid all of them. Upon completion of every fourth round, Cubert plays the bonus round. During the round, Cubert stands in place and rotates a cube beneath him. Once it matches the target cube, Cubert jumps to the next cube. The object is to match as many cubes as he can for bonus points before the round ends. In the very quick play that I gave this game before recording, I did not get to a bonus round. The round ends when you match the required number of rows. The following round will display a new target cube. The game ends when you lose your last cubert. To play again, press the game reset switch. The longer you stay in the game, the more challenging it becomes. The characters in pursuit move at a faster rate. The characters in pursuit are introduced more frequently. You may be required to match up to four rows per round. Fewer free cubes are given per round. Cubes may not lock in place once they are matched. Scoring, which is really what we're all about, right dudes? Scores range from like 5 points for landing on a cube up to 500 points for eliminating rat-a-tat-tat with a given cubert per round the first time uh, and then decreasing after that each time. You get bonus points, 200 points after uh, level 1, 200 points per matched cube. Uh, you get bonus points basically each level for doing various things. You get a bonus cubert every 10,000 points. And now I shall read you the 180-day limited warranty. No, I won't. Just kidding. That is how you play Cubert's Cubes from Milestar. 1983 or 84 or who the hell knows. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, 
I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. Kubert's Cubes was the first sequel, first of many, sequels to uh, Kubert. Copyright for 83 on the title screen, but the manual indicates a 1984 copyright. It used the same hardware as the original game, but features new enemies. Though part of a popular franchise, the game's release was hardly noticed. Parter Brothers showcased home versions of Kubert's Cubes at the Winter Consumer Electronics Show in January of 85. Kubert's Cubes was ported to ColecoVision and Atari 2600. Version for the Atari 8-bit computers and Commodore 64 were referred to in the instructions of the release conversions. The Atari 8-bit version has not yet been found. I don't know when this article is written. But games that weren't tracked down a preview of the C64 version in 2017. The Kubert Wiki says that Milestar held the uh, Kubert license in 83, which is why they got to do the game. Uh, The game only achieved mild success, but due to the influence of the North American gaming crash of 83, the game went relatively unnoticed. After the success of the original Kubert, Warren Davis, creator of Qbert, pitched the idea of a sequel to Gottlieb, the company who provided assets for the original. In development, Qbert license was sold to Milestar Electronics, who continued development on the game that was originally going to be called Qbert 2, or 2 uh, asterisk Bert and Cubes, before selling with the latter, with the latter adding Qbert's name to Cubes. Hardcore Gaming 101 says that Milestar took a it's pretty time with producing a video game follow-up to Qbert after shooting off Davis's update, presumably to exploit the successful base game for as long as possible. The company got Neil Burst- Bernstein on the job to produce an all-new sequel. This reviewer doesn't think that the game likely was released before 84, pretty much after the crash. The game wasn't even mentioned in Electronic Games' obituary for Milestar after the company's closure in September of 84, so it must have been an extremely small under-the-radar release. The game is not at all the typical cash-in sequel. It is at least as creative as the original. In a way, it resembles the Rubik's Cube puzzle. I'm not sure I see that. As it's all about turning around cubes to match their colors. Okay, I guess so. Kubert's Cubes doesn't take long to get more challenging and involving than the original, but for experienced players, it offers the option to start at any of the first four levels. Beginning the game with the next, with the need for three tic-tac-toes with countless enemies swarming the playing field should be enough of a challenge for most. Arcade operators also could set the game to hard difficulty. Cubert's Cubes never got the attention it deserved, even though it has more enduring gameplay than the original. GamesThatWeren'tDotCom calls it a wonderful finding of a game that we were never sure actually existed. Here it is, and is mostly playable and shows a solid conversion taking place. I think this article is actually referring to the C64, which I know nothing about. Alright, speaking of things I know nothing about... Let's do the rest of the show. After the break, there might be podcasts so fun that it's like fun squared, but Atari Bytes is the only show that offers fun cubed.
playing Cubert's Cubes today. I really wish the cubes were cubes of ice and a giant glass of whiskey because this game is, well you'll see. I'm holding the joystick as recommended in the manual with the fire button pointed up instead of to the left as is typical. See? I don't know if you can see that or not. Cameron, you can see it? Yeah. Alright. So, let's see if that helps at all. Here we go. Possible gratuitous shot of my head? Or not? No. Okay, good. There's Cubert in the adorable. Whoa. Sorry, everybody. I don't know how much the uh, audio levelating compensate for that. You may have just gotten yours blasted. Alright, so the color we're going for is yellow, as indicated by the uh, top left cube. Cubert is, as I said, he's cute as always. I just jumped on a yellow thing. That was bad. Cubert says some naughty words. I'm playing on the easy setting. Uh, I'm just really bad at this. Man! Gonna see those yellow things in my dreams. Oh shoot, that one's already yellow. The sound effects take me back to uh, the old days being in the arcade playing Cubert, which frankly I'd rather be doing right now than doing this. Get away from me, weird purple thing. There's a blue thing. I don't think I saw him when I played earlier. These all have names, which I, you will have heard me say earlier in the episode, but I don't remember them. Ah, white thing. Beware the white thing. Two more guys. As you can see, I am racking up the points. I am at 18, 1860 now, 1875. It's embarrassing how well I'm doing at this game, isn't it? I've only managed to change uh, one cube yellow. Man! There was a yellow one. But then I changed it to green. Now there's another yellow one. Man! Ah, shoot. I accidentally launched my cubert up instead of onto another cube. Mercifully, that's the end of the game. At a whopping 2,070 points. Seriously, where's the whiskey? Back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Car by Car podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. 
Pell's serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre, from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in Love, Twisted Car Races, and the aforementioned Devilish Breakfast Food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Pizza decoder ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, and words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell's Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you'd like to get your books. Not cereal. Here's the thing about Cubert's Cubes. I find the game a little frustrating. Original Cubert has a lot of charm, and you can play it and sort of zone out, and it's just kind of, you know, an innocuous little way to spend some time. It also feels very nostalgic. Puts you right back in an you know, early 80s arcade. Cubert's Cubes feels like it's going for that, but it's not quite there. I only played a little bit. Maybe if I played it longer and got into more of a rhythm and you know found patterns that worked for me better and stuff, maybe I'd be into it more. But I mostly just found it sort of frustrating the little bit that I played. I was only half kidding in the field report when I said, I wish the cubes were ice cubes in a glass of whiskey because... Uh, yeah, it's frustrating. Cubert's still adorable. The little swear bubble over his head is charming. All of that. And I will probably give this game another chance. It's not like I hate the game or anything. I just, I didn't play it enough, frankly, to really get into it one way or another. Either get into it or get out of it, I guess. I'm not sure what the opposite of getting into it is. So, you know, it's fine, I guess. It, it It's not fine in my head at the moment, but it is worth revisiting. I'll say that. If any of you guys have uh, strong feelings one way or another about anything related to Cubert, there's a Cubert cartoon out there. Maybe I'll do some of those for the uh, bonus content at some point. I still have to go back and revisit Pac-Man show that I was watching for a while until it got really weird. Also, I got really busy, so I need to revisit that. Maybe I'll check out the Cubert cartoon at some point. If any of you have thoughts about anything Cubert related, you know how to reach me. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled, Not the Cubes You Expected. When you listen to this, it helps to hear the uh, children's song, Dumb Bones, in your head. Cezanne, Picasso, and Metzinger. Brock Lises and Juan Gris, Dolly Mondrian, Lager and Matisse, changing the face of art. Impressionism leads to expressionism. Expressionism leads to Fauvism. Fauvism leads to Cubism, doing the painter's dance. Picasso's new green leaves and bust gets a record 106 million at auction. Analytic, synthetic, and surrealist. Doing the cubist painter's dance. Impressionism looks for the feeling. Expressionists love emotion more than reality. Fauvists love the bright colors. And the cubists are out of sight. No, seriously, cubists show what is not just what we see. All at once by using simple shapes. If you're wondering how a cube 
can be two dimensions. Well, you mm -hmm. just don't mm -hmm. get it, man. That's all part of the Cubist Painter's Dance. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Big thanks to Kevin McLeod and Compitech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs. Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the storytime theme. How would Picasso draw an apple? I don't know. But head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review of this show that conveys not simply that the show sounds like a five-star podcast, but that it is a five-star podcast. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, look us up on Instagram. There won't be a whole lot of Cubist paintings over there, but there might be other stuff that's kind of cool. And don't forget, you can always call us, too. I'm not going to answer the phone, but you can leave a voicemail, 563-265-1978. Leave a message about pretty much anything you want, and I'm probably going to play it on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information and links to the show, information and links to my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown and info about books that I've written, including Hell Serial, Very Short Stories, Fortified with Essential Syllables, all of that stuff, all in one place. Consider supporting the show financially by making a donation on the Atari Bytes Patreon page, basically subscribing to the show through Patreon. Patreon supporters get stuff. Bonus content, episodes early, you never know what you might get. And you help keep the lights on here at the podcast studio. The other thing you can do is... Keep an eye on the current patrons, Michael Tyler, Jose Cazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Jim Goble, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., and Jason Schiffman. Thanks to all of them. All right, we're about out of here. All that's left is to tell you, next time on Atari Bytes. We're playing Tempest, which feels like a game I should have done already, but I don't think I have, so I'm gonna uh, join us for that. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Thank you.